This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Ernesto Burgos. Ernesto makes sculptural work that utilizes cardboard, fiberglass, resin, and paint, among other materials. The shapes in his work resemble organic forms that might dwell on the ocean floor, or the bone structure of an unknown creature, all covered with responsive painting and mark-making. Some sculptures operate like tabletop centerpieces, while more recent oversized works mount to walls or rest on pedestals. His work swirls around notions of how we engage with scale, the personalities of materials, and referencing movement through a static form. We recorded this conversation at my studio in the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn. That's fine. All right, cool. I no, no, yeah. I, I completely respect We've that. known each other for... Yeah. I feel pretty comfortable here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I was, you know, I texted you uh, this morning when I woke up because I wanted to ask you about the last um, piece of art that you had uh, a visceral emotional response to and I guess I just to set that question up you know when I came into your show with my my younger kid who's two and a half the first thing that he did when we opened the door is he went ooh, like he had a like a immediate reaction to your work and he's only two and a half years old and I had my own response but it was really cool to see you know a, a, a small child right. engage with a work in such a way that it elicited like this sort of like little kid noise. And then he was like, what's that? What's that? He was like fully trying to figure these forms and sculptures out. Right. So if I set, set up the question like that, I'm wondering if you've had that experience lately or the last piece of art or thing that you saw that brought you into that emotional place. I mean, that's a, that's a good experience or good reaction to have to art. Um, but yeah, it, it it happens. I mean, there's not. It happens at different times. I guess the most recent um, was I was at MoMA last Monday, and there was a Nan Golden show up. And Nan Golden's a show. It's like I've, you know, you, you feel like you've seen those images a million times, but there was this one room where there was a slide projection of image after image after image with a soundtrack, and it was just pretty. You, you pre- felt something. It was pretty powerful. Uh huh. You know. So I think those type of experiences. I mean, if I want, if I thought about it, I you know I think I was in Chelsea a couple months ago, a few months ago, and I saw there was that Paul McCarthy show at House and Worth. That gave me a two year old like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. look, look at that, yeah. look at that. So that show, I mean, his work in general, yeah, usually, I, usually creates that effect in me. Yeah, um, there's just something about the no filter when it comes to throwing things together. It's almost like the formal aspect of, of how he's making things. Mm-hmm. He's beyond that. Yeah, it's a yeah. given. Yeah, so he just goes for it. It seems yeah. like he's, there, there's some, there's something else beyond the work, where those formal issues are almost they're just like in his pocket. Yeah, and there's just like, and then he mixes things up. Yeah, where it's like he'll make a mold out of something, and the mold is mirroring, like the, what was cast is mirroring the actual object with, from what the mold was made out of. But then he'll throw something in there to mix it up. To just, there's always these things that are like cyclical in the way he makes things, where they begin. You want to, you want to think you know where it's going to end up, but then it doesn't end up there. But there's just this, this 
almost freedom of just plowing. Yeah, and confidence. And confidence. Yeah, for sure. Plowing. You know, I got to be honest. I I wish I had those emotional responses to uh, still artwork, meaning not moving images. I usually have that response for music and film. Right. Less so for like a painting or a sculpture. And I think that's, you know, I think I spoke about it with someone else at some point about like just how our brains are wired to respond to things that are moving and, and sound um, differently than the still thing. But um, when I do, when I am in front of artwork and I have that sort of reaction to it, um, it's a real special thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, no it's, it's possible. And if you're not having it, maybe there's just not enough of it out there. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. Or I'm just tired. <laughs> or you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so you just opened a show what, like a week or two ago? About, yeah. At Kate Werbel Gallery down in Lower Manhattan. Um, and you're a sculptor. I think I would, I, I'm comfortable identifying you as a sculptor. We you take that term? I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of go through some of the things I thought about when I came, when I walked in with, with my son and saw your show. Like um, <clears throat> the first thing that jumped out at me about your sculptures was the scale. I feel like the last works I saw of yours weren't as big. So the sense of scale and the power that came through those scales sort of overwhelmed me in a good way. Um, so that was like a, a like a, like a, a weird hug from the artwork, um, yeah. a weird bear hug. Um, the uh, um, installation was really sophisticated. And we, are, I, we spoke about that before you hit the record button, but like everything was well-placed. Um, the forms themselves, how they were sort of, they, they were, it was an illusion. I couldn't quite figure out how you made them. Um, they looked very heavy, like they were made of plaster or stone. Um, and I started to think about the process, like how did Ernesto make these and how are they, um, being supported by these small plywood pedestal tables that you built for them. It looks like these very heavy things should be crushing them. So there was like this disconnect between the perceived weight of the sculpture and the support that was presenting them. Um, and then I started thinking about the surface treatment and how you're painting and drawing on top of the, the three-dimensional form um, and, and, and sort of how um, the form will dictate how the treatment of the surface. You know, you're using gravity and the slant of... Of, of some of the forms the forms themselves like I was like these came off of the ocean floor they look like shells or crustaceans or something that grew on the side of a tree like a mushroom or something like that um, they're very organic feeling um, some of them were figurative I guess like the ones in the back around the corner the, uh, just the height and the sort of slenderness of them yeah um, am I am I reading them right am I missing no, you're reading, yeah no yeah. there's yeah no, that was a lot uh, yeah that was a lot, <laughs> was a lot. Let, we can um, yeah, I mean, I, let's, let's pull that back to, I mean, so in terms of the way, it, okay, we'll go back to the scale. They yeah. definitely, all right, so from the last, the last time I showed this, it, they have scaled up. Um, I guess the last couple of shows I did of this work, they almost seem to be more kind of tabletop base where you're supposed to zoom in over the object. Mm-hmm. Um, like a centerpiece or something. Like a like centerpiece, yeah. almost like a floral piece on top of a table. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of like moves in those that were were very interesting to me, but the idea of, of scaling them up, 
what also meant that the the move or the gesture or the way I interact or intervene on top of this form would also have to adjust. So basically meaning like you're turning the volume up on everything. Mm -hmm. So like if there's a little line over a two foot square area, what is that going to be over six foot square, mm -hmm. you know? And how does the, you know, you're making like a mark with your wrist as opposed to a mark with your shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and those, those forms. Yeah, so wrist and shoulder. I think about that stuff quite a bit with right, mark making. Yep. Right, mm -hmm. so, um, and also I, did, I, I wanted to be more, I wanted the, them to be more confrontational or, or just be more interactive, like on a face-to-face -face scale, on a, yeah, body, sure. on, on, on a body level. I got that. And hence um, the hug, I guess, metaphor. The bear hug, yeah. And yeah, confrontation. Yeah, they're sort of they're in my right, face and right. bigger than me. Right. Uh -huh. So it's like you're not so much looking over them, you're looking directly at them or they're looking directly at you. Mm -hmm. And you walk around them as opposed to hover around them. Mm -hmm. So those are all very important things. Um, so, the, the, I mean, the, the way they're made... Yeah, I mean, the, the way that this work came about was, I mean, I did a show maybe five years ago, six years ago at Kate's Gallery as well. Mm -hmm. I did a show of a bunch of couches, which I had upended, and I was cutting them up, putting holes in them, just kind of treating them the same way I treat these sculptures. Mm -hmm. uh, the only difference was those were forms that already existed. And you just found them on the street? Or where no, did the couches I, come I, from? I, I kind of seeked them out. I mean, I did yeah. a little shopping on Craigslist and okay. took some, like, man with the van trips around Brooklyn and, yeah. you know. Sure. So, I mean, I still see that work very related to the work I'm making now. Okay. The only difference is, right, there's just a different process of arriving at the form that you're going to be working with. Where one is, right, you can see, like, thousands of couches on Craigslist, go to a thousand, like, dead grandma's apartments, and, you know, but at the end of the day, I would pick one. Yeah. There was something about this, a certain couch that I would pick, bring that back to the studio, and then start working on it. Uh -huh. In contrast to this, it's like I'm still going to the process of making these shapes, and when I arrive to a shape, it's almost like that same decision, like that's what I'm going to work with now. Right. But again, the only difference is that these shapes come from or originate in the studio as opposed to having that other layer or addition of there's, it's a pre-existing thing with the already right. function. You created the form as opposed to finding the form. Right. Yeah. Um, but once the form is there, it's yeah. like they're treated. It's like the form, back to what you're talking about in terms of the form kind of dictate or kind of guide what happens to the painting. Mm -hmm. Like the couch sets up its own set of limitations and its own set of possibilities. Mm -hmm. The same with the way these forms do when before I start to work on them. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Um, while we're talking about process and how these things came together, and you know, I was, uh, you know, I was really thinking about weight and 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 how heavy these things look. They look like they're made of stone or or plaster. Um, but then when I read the press release and the I know how you make some of your pieces. There's a there's a cardboard armature underneath it that you're putting resin and fiberglass over. Right. Can you talk about sort of that how you build these things up and you know you use a lot of very approachable materials and stuff that you get at hardware stores and the, but the end result looks like this very sophisticated chiseled heavy thing. Um, so yeah. There's like a an interesting contradiction there. Yeah. I mean the cardboard just started off. I mean really. The cardboard just started off because when I was making that couch show, I'd line or I'd cover the floor with cardboard. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have to repaint the floor after I finished right. the couches. Right. And what was happening is I was, I was already using some of that resin on the couches to harden up the surface. Okay. So I would be able to paint on them. Same way you prime, prime a canvas. Mm -hmm. But the couches is like insanely more. You had to put way more on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stuff was flying off of the couches onto the floor, onto the cardboard. And, you know, cardboard to paper. So like 
liquid would fall on the carpet, it would start to buckle. Right. Warp. It would start to and warp. curl. And curl. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on these couches, looking at the floor, some of these things hardened. I was like, wow, look at that. So I started like tearing some pieces up that were already hardened. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I'm, I cover them up. So it's almost like a, I, it's like a just way stronger form of paper mache. Right. When you start applying the, the right. fiberglass. Right, right, right. So I started going with the idea, and in the beginning, the idea of was just taking like this small thing, almost crumpling it up, freezing it, seeing which way it would stand on its own, if it was interesting standing in that way. Freezing it with the resin, you mean? Right. Like yeah, making hard, it rigid. Hardening it. Yeah, 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 yeah. hardening it. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's how they started going. So, and, like, I started making more and more, and, like, one of those, yeah, they started going scale. I wanted to get, like, more intricate or say, well, well can I make it do that? Can mm-hmm. I make it do that? Can it stand this way? Yeah. Can it stand that way? And so it all just starts from like taking a simple flat things and start bending, cutting. And the more I started, the more I worked with the material, I started realizing, yeah, you can cut things up. Like if I'm working on three shapes, I can cut a piece off of one, put on top of the other. Mm-hmm. So basically I was just trying to figure out a way to keep, um, to keep finding forms. Right. And to keep them interesting, right. keep them different and find new ways to find a form and to keep twisting it. And so like basic things, you know, how do you do that? Scale. Mm-hmm. Is it a vertical piece? Does it go to the side? Is it a diagonal? Is it, you know, and you just keep right. tipping and tipping. So I don't, so I don't really uh, like when I start them. I just start bending, freezing, bending, freezing, cutting. It's just a, it, right, it's right, really right. choppy. Right. So I don't really know the way the piece is gonna go as I'm making it. And then I'll I'll step back, tip it up. And yeah. Like if I see that might make a good angle, you know, I'll prop it one corner up on a bucket. It's like oh that's the, okay that's how it's gonna go, and you continue to add on more material. So it's very. It's very organic. Yeah, it sounds reflexive. You're just responding to, just responding. to the form right. and the, the gesture in the moment. And right. It's also cool to, like, just to backtrack a little bit, like, this way of working came out of a different way of working. It was like the refuse from the couch right. project, like, falling onto your um, work surface, which you laid down the cardboard, and you saw something there. Um, the idea came, and you started working on that. That's, like, a very, like, uh, um, great example of how work comes out of other work sometimes in right. the studio. Um and that's another thing I know about your your process. And once these things are frozen and they're in place, that's when you start doing the, the surface treatment, right? Right. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, that's when the drawing and the painting comes in. Right. Um, when the thing's hard, you've, you've committed to the, 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 the dimensional form, um, and now you're doing the surface treatment. Um, but you're not, like, painting and going in. You're, like, sort of pouring over and letting those angles sort of push and dictate where the, where the wet paint goes and such. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't sit back and like start mixing colors on a palette mm-hmm. and then like that little tip needs like some light pink, or, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, there's, there's some selection, like I'll pull out certain colors, but I mean, so the way I, and I also work with them in a group mm-hmm. and like the tables that they're presented on are actually like tables, the work tables, not the, the actual work tables, but similar to the work tables I have in the studio. Yeah, it sort of references a work table. It's like it, a, like it, a formal work table. Right, but those are yeah. literally like the, the, the same dimensions that the pieces were actually okay. on. Okay. But in the studio, I have wheels on the bottom of all those tables, so I'm moving them around. So like I'll, sure. I'll make, you know, whatever, if I'm working on six, whatever, 612, whatever it may mm-hmm. be. I'll get to the point where all the sculptures are in the studio and they're all on wheels. So, and they're moving around and I'm moving around and I'll mix paint. And sometimes most of the paint is actually done with my hand. Mm-hmm. You work on multiple sculptures at the yeah. same time. And like yeah. a lot of, I mean, if you, I mean, some of the, you'll see some of the, like some of the splatters, some of the scratches, some of the colors is because 
you know, I was working on one, there might be a quarter of, of a bucket left or something I mixed and, mm-hmm. I, and I just, I'll, you know, just throw it on the other one, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, so I'll, I move around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So moving around and like, even as I'm painting, it's almost like, it's almost like it is like that the form really is kind of in control of how it's going to receive or how it's even going to like dictate my decision to what I think I'm going to do to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go with charcoal, things that make marks in my hand and like I'm, I'll reach into a crevice, not looking at the crevice and I'll just start scratching the inside mm-hmm. and whatever that is, whatever that ends up, that's what, the, that's what's going to be. That's what's going to be there. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's not, there's not that much, editing when i pull back I, I don't look at them and say oh you know that needs this or that mm-hmm. it's you know so in a, in a way like the searching of the form like the, it's it's almost like a 90 percent form 10 percent application right. or i mean it is paint it is charcoal mm-hmm. sometimes i don't feel like comfortable with the idea of painting but i mean it is i mean there's a right. language there they end up being pictorial in certain angles but I guess for me, the overall thing about well, it... Well, there's straight up painting gestures in some of them. I see. I saw a brush that right. looked like a brush mark. Right. Um, the other thing that like it, it looks very considered is when you use that charcoal line. You're like, you are highlighting the contour of the edge right. of the sculptural forms. Almost like, um, I don't know, I thought of like Dubuffet's sculptures right. and how he sort of black outlines the, the edge of some of his... Um, uh, sculptures that he would do right um that seems very sort of like okay the i am just going to follow the edge with this black charcoal and point it out and that sort of traps in the color on the inside it's like acts like a frame or a boundary in a way too right 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 i mean i guess charcoal yeah it is it is it's, it's charcoal that black line it's, yeah there's okay. charcoal in there there's oil stick i mean with the charcoal it's interesting the, the way the charcoal reacts i mean i see the charcoal is more of of a scratching the sculpture or the form. Oh, okay. And the, the, because I mean, you're scratching the, the charcoal, like it's, it's breaking as I'm bringing the, right. the charcoal stick down, right. but then it's like spewing out like all this dust. And I, and I mean, I keep all that stuff, like things that fall out. I mean, if you look, I mean, if you really look inside at the crevices, like there's pieces of other stuff that like broke off, broke off. And, and I keep all that stuff. I keep all sure. that history. Yeah. So it isn't, yeah, it's an, it is an outline, but I see it more as like a trying to scratch into like this thing that I spent so much time and like labor building up and mm-hmm. like almost trying to like break into it. So like the charcoal, yeah, it, it, all the all the all the all the materials from like all the like the rem, the residue that falls on the sculpture itself, like I I freeze that also into yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah. keep that there. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like the history of the work a, is part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That's great. You mentioned that that the little work tables that you have these on in your studio have wheels so you can keep spinning them. Um, and I'm always curious when I talk to sculptors, how they consider orientation within the final display or presentation. So when you walk into the gallery, you know, there's a, there's a front, what I, what I would define as the front cause I'm walking straight into them. Um, the front of the sculpture versus the side and the back. And of course we can, we can walk 360 around them. Um, but I'm curious, about your decision-making process for what you choose to present as the front of these sculptures when you put them in a gallery space. Right. I mean, also it depends on the gallery space. That mm-hmm. that gallery space, because it's basically two rectangular spaces, especially the front having the windows of the street, I mean, mm-hmm. it sets up this a frontal view. Mm-hmm. But the pieces don't necessarily... 
I mean, you kind of have to figure that stuff out in the space because the reality is that you can not only move this whole sculpture to a different side of the room, mm-hmm. you could spin it 45 degrees. Right. So you don't, you, you don't even worry about that till you're in the space itself. Yeah. Okay. I sort of assumed that you like had, oh, this is the, this is the hot angle. This is the sexy angle, like this view. Right well, no, here. no, you do get, you get, you, you get some of that, some okay. of the pieces. But okay. for example, like I, what ends up happening is that right in the studio, I also end up looking at the things in certain ways. Even on wheels, some might just end up parked in an area for a while while I'm finishing up another piece. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the gallery, better light, it's all clean. You like you discover. I discover things about the sculptures that I wasn't really paying attention to in the studio. Right. Like right, like you said, that I'm I'm kind of focusing on two three angles. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about that, and then I get there. I was like, "Wow, that's actually the least interesting part about this sculpture." Huh. So then, like, yeah. So some things happen in the space where it's like, "Well, okay, well, we're going to move it this way." Right. That's a new dynamic, a new relationship with the one next to it that I had never even noticed. Right. So I mean, a lot of that play happens in in the gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I'm going to assume that's pretty rewarding when you're spending all this time on this one area. Like you think you're onto it. Like, oh, this is. This is feeling good, and then you step back and you walk around the other side, like, "Oh, look at this! This is way better." The, right. The, the the area that I was not paying attention to. Right. This thing that happened peripherally. Right. That becomes like the pipe, the part of the the sculpture. That's right. It's exciting. Right. Um, and then you get to play with that, like spinning around and you play, yeah, spin around, or just like you know, like you know, some of these some of these pieces were already out of the studio, and like I just like I saw things that were way more interesting than the things that I actually thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, then a weird way, like you say, peripherally almost out of my control yeah but like yeah, they're out of the studio so you can't really go back into them but it does like allow i mean that's like it, it opens possibilities for moving forward yeah for sure you know? and you mentioned um you know thinking about this stuff while you're working in the studio and i'm always curious what we're thinking about while we're working on these sculptures and this is a question i ask other artists like the sort of psychology of working in the studio and like what sorts of things are rolling through our heads if there's outside voices um, usually it's a mix of like focusing on the task at hand and then like maybe stuff from the outside coming in. Do you find yourself like what sorts of things come through your head while you're working? Is there, um, can you share some of that information? Yeah. I mean like, oh, we talked about it before where the work comes from the work itself. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm making, when I'm making the, when I'm making the work, I'm not, if I'm in the right mind, I'm not really thinking about anything else. Like I'm actually thinking about, do you remember that piece? Right. Like, you remember the attitude? Can you do that again? Can you do it better? Mm-hmm. Like, if that worked out for you well with you, without you trying, can you get back into that mindset? Can you? It's almost like, like I, I'm trying myself. Yeah. Trying yeah. myself and trying the work. And it's like, oh, if, if last time that worked with a left, can you do it with a right and then add a left? And then, so I keep trying to, like, juggle and, like, throw things into this cycle to break up the, its own cycle mm-hmm. so that new things can happen that, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, that's well said. Do you ever, um, it got me thinking about, you know, we have good days and bad days in the studio. Um, yeah. Do you ever think about what the sort of things that happen in the lead up to having a good day in studio? Um, oh, I try. I, I've tried. Like to. reverse engineering, like I'm having a great day, like things are really singing in here. Right. Um, I, I feel like I'm hitting my marks, I'm learning. Uh, the the work is developing and then like trying to unpack that and figure out why that day was different than oh, the yeah. other one. No, no, yeah, but to a c- obsessive, like I even think about like what did I have for dinner last night? Yeah, I mean, what time did I go to bed? Did I read before I go to bed or did I watch some stupid like news? Yeah. That, like all those type of things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wish there was some control over it, but yeah. I think we underestimate that how much of what we do a few days before, a week before that day occurs, that great day in the studio occurs. I think it's, 
it's like it's 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 the amount of rest you got it's like the 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 healthy food that makes your body feel good um it's a good interaction with a friend right seeing um something inspiring it's right listening to that record at the right moment all these things that happen like two three days before that day right you got in your studio is what leads up um as opposed to the things that, that are like happened that morning or that the second you walked through right. the door so I, I'm starting to think about that, right? Right. Like if I know I'm going to have a good week in studio or like, like a work week, I think about getting ready for that, like the week before. Right. I mean, no, it, it's tricky. I think it's problematic because the reality is that you know, we would want to have some sense of control over what would qualify a successful day and our decisions prior to that day to make a successful day. Yeah. But I think the reality is that life just doesn't work like yeah, that. This you know, is I mean, as true. much as much as we want to like say, oh yeah, I do this and that, and it's gonna have a good day. I've had good days when I thought like when they really should have been the shittiest days. Where yeah. maybe I, I went out and had a couple of drinks when I shouldn't yeah. have, and I get the studio, I'm kind of bummed. But like, yeah, yeah, the reality of being an artist and a creative person smacks you in the face sometimes. Yeah, life isn't or the reality programmable just, or like that. reality of just being a person. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's <laughs> like true. a good day and a bad day. And a parent, like you um, have a two-year-old almost two yeah and um i know i guess i think about like being really efficient about my time and like like uh, uh being able to have that great studio productive healthy exciting day in the studio because i have kids and i think when you become a parent and you're an artist and you're you're chasing this life um and your kids and your kids um from my point of view, um, I'm trying to be smart about my time. So I want to be ready when I get there. And I think like parenthood really slapped that into me. Whereas like I would, uh, before I was a parent, I'd come in a studio and spend half the day just standing and looking, which is important. And I still do that sometimes, but I also feel like I need to start making decisions and moves right away. Cause I don't yeah. have that time and luxury right. as much. So I guess on that front, like I'm wondering if becoming a parent for you, affected your studio practice or the way you work or the way you think about art or any of these sorts of things? No, I mean, it definitely does. I mean, it definitely changes things. Yeah. Um, time would be one of them, but I mean, I, I, I guess time is not so much effect. I, I guess it's what, what I do with my time that's not so detrimental because there is now less available time. Right. So less goofing off, like less time to waste. So I mean, it, it kind of sharpens you up in a way, and I think it's it's, it's that. I mean, like that what you just described is having the time to stand around and look at something. Mm -hmm. You know, kids don't do that. Kids are very, they act. Do you bring your son to the studio ever? Uh, not not. I, he's come, but like, I mean, there's a lot of dust. He's still stuff. young. He's young. Yeah. yeah. I, I will bring him later on. Yeah. 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 But I mean, he's been there. Mm -hmm. But no, but the thing. I mean, like you, I think allowing ourselves so much time just to kind of meander in our minds and like what is this? And like, what does this mean? It's like mm -hmm. that there's kind of less of, and mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for that yeah. because artists, we do have the tendency to kind of spend way too much time in yeah. our heads. And I think some of the best results are more immediate. I mean, I, you know, you don't spend years and years and years and like, it's already there. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's already there. That's if, well said. If, if you can close that gap between like, whatever happens, whatever thought or idea before you act, like the idea is already there in your, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can we talk about growing up? Growing up? Yeah. I know that you grew still, up. You, still trying. <laughs> still trying. I know that you grew up in the Bay Area and Chile. Yeah. Um, can you talk about uh, the differences in places and and why or, 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 or just that experience of sort of 
growing up in the States as well as in South America and sort of the, the, the exchanges that might take place between the two cult, cultural experiences? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was born in the States um, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. My dad, uh, my dad's from Chile. My mother's American. My dad was exiled in the 70s uh, from Chile. Under yeah. Pinochet? Under Pinochet, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He, when the coup fell, he kind of went to clandestine hiding for a few weeks. And some friends were just like, Yo, turn yourself in. They're going to catch you anyways. What they, was he? What was he? He was head of a, um, a socialist party in his okay. region. Chile's not a federal country. And the socialist government had been just thrown over by... Well, no, they had been elected. So my father was... There was a whole like leftist right, the, populist right, movement. And right. my dad was part of that. And Chile's not a federal country, so they don't have states, they have regions. So, mm-hmm. not, but I mean, it's pretty much a state, right. you know. Right. So my dad was head of this one um, socialist group, or was very involved with that. And so, obviously, the coup happened, and there was a list of people that they were after. The U.S.-backed coup, we should add, right? The U.S.-backed coup, to, yeah. To remove the socialist government and insert right. a military dictator. Right. Just something that's be more favorable to the U.S. interest. Yeah. Great. Right. <laughs> I mean, there was, I mean, there's a list of... Con- yeah. I mean, it's Cold War. Yeah. This happened all over yeah. Latin America. This happened, was the early Greece, 70s, right? Early 70s, yeah. yeah. So it's Cold War, mm-hmm. you know. So anyways, yeah, so my dad turned himself in. He they got thrown in a camp for about two, three years and then managed to get out a of... prison? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, like a camp. Anyway, yeah. Mm. And that was real shitty, like torture. It was a whole, whole thing. Um, he managed to get out. Um, there were... I mean, at this point, like... Amnesty International had already been formed. So, like, human rights from outside of um, any country where there was human torture, et cetera, happening, mm-hmm. they were having rights. So there was also pressure, not, I mean, from the U.S. as well, but from the other side of what, what's going on there. So they managed to get, like, people together or, or groups that would somehow, maybe by almost like a lottery, like, yeah. you're, you, you can make it out. So, so your dad got out. So my dad got out, yeah. So he got, he got out, and then he got put on a plane, and there was a, it was a plane full of people from Argentina and Uruguay who were also in the dictatorship that made the plane stopped in Chile left. He was on the, and he had a couple of his like, whatever colleagues, uh-huh. comrades from the party that were also in that city, you know, yeah. and they were talking, I mean, they were just happy to be out of the, you know, out of prison. Yeah, for sure. And they were talking like, they were like, where are we going? Like they had no idea when they just idea. got on a plane. They had no well, idea. Well, no. Yeah. So when one of the, one of the guys asked one of the stewardess, like, where are we going? And she was like, we're going to San Jose. And they were all like, Oh, cool. So, tropical like California well no they thought Costa Rica oh okay oh yeah San Jose Costa Rica <laughs> yeah but, but, but it was really San Jose it was really San Jose okay yeah so we ended up there kind of like got going met my mother fast forward you in know. San Jose uh yeah San Jose Berkeley area. yeah just okay. the bay yeah but yeah okay all, all over the place they separated and then like yeah I went to live with my dad and uh his new wife in Chile when I was around 10 or 11. So you, you spent the first 10 years in, in California. In California. And then moved to Chile. Went to Chile, yeah. Okay. So then finished school, took a, about a year off. So, yeah, moving around, I mean... Do you study art in Chile? No, I mean, I, I did high school and I took okay. a year off and then I was skateboarding a lot at the time. And so, um, yeah, my, I mean, so to get into college or university in Chile, you have to take this, like, really rigorous exam. Mm-hmm. It's like the SATs, but just okay. cracked out. Yeah. So, and you spend like the last year of high school preparing for that. I didn't prepare, did really bad on the test, took a year off to kind of work, goofed off. And I decided, you know, I have like American citizenship. I'm going to go to the States and okay. do something. Sure. So, and so in the back and forth from the States to Chile um, and the skateboarding, um, I'm curious where 
where your entrance is into visual art or where that where that spark yeah started or maybe those I mean, I was younger or... i you know really into comics do a lot of comics mm -hmm. you know as any teenage boy tore down a little, with some graffiti mm -hmm. you know but anyway, at the time when i was it was probably I was around 19 yeah i, I moved to um to the states mm -hmm. but my real focus was like i, I kind of just wanted to skateboard and hang out with my friends that right. was the, that was the reality but you know, I had this a, is Northern California. So. No, I came back and I, I actually moved from Chile. I moved to DC for like three months. Oh, okay, I had a okay. sister there, an older half sister, mm -hmm. and then from there I moved to Miami for about a year and a half. But I was a skateboarder. But yeah, I, I entered a, or I started community college, and I really know what I wanted to study. Like I said, I was just kind of hanging out with friends and skate, skating, mm -hmm. just hanging out. And um, you know, I thought like architecture or civil engineering—that's where all my most of my family, my uncles did that. So like that, you know, uh -huh. so I started taking some drawing classes. Okay. But, you know, based like into the drawing, into the painting. Like figurative drawing? Like intro to... Yeah, just like drawing still like 101. drawing 101. Okay. Like, yeah, it wasn't like, it was, a, it was a community, just junior college. So it wasn't even like, it was an art program. Right, right, So right. it was just like, there had to be some art classes, but no one was really... So I took a couple of classes. I had one professor or a teacher and she was like, yeah, you ever thought about studying art? I was like, not really. Uh-huh. And you're you're 19 at this point. Yeah, 19, okay. 20. Um, and one day she's like, "Well, meet me here, meet me back here at like the studio that the, the school had, or you know, where we had classes." Mm -hmm. um, we did. She's like, "Bring all your work." She took slides, and then like two weekends later, she's like, "Meet me here." So I go meet her, and she took me to Portfolio Day. Oh, okay. In Miami, you know, where like different schools come around, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I applied to a bunch of, you know, I got pre-approved to like a couple schools, Chicago, the school in Boston, and San Francisco. So I got pre-approved, but again, this was like so. Like looking back, it doesn't make. I mean, it almost doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. It was millimetric. Yeah, how all this happened. Yeah, so, I feel like we need to pause and, and like salute that teacher. It's like, <laughs> meet me after school. We're gonna take pictures of your picture, yeah. your portfolio, or, your work, or scold her, <laughs> <laughs> or scold her. And then she took you to the portfolio review, right? Yeah. I mean, do you remember yeah, the teacher's was... name? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Anyways, can you, yeah. yeah, no. So then I I took like so yeah. So but again, I so I was like oh. So then I I figured I should probably go to these cities. So I went with my brother. I actually went I went to skate. I was like San Francisco skateboard, San Francisco. I grew up in Chile watching skateboarding in San Francisco. I was like, yeah, we took our skateboards. Early nineties. That's where it was at. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So I went. I went. To, I went on this trip. Went to Boston, Chicago, and San Francisco. I ended up going to San Francisco because they gave me more scholarship money. Okay. But again, at, at the time, it's like yeah, the Art Institute. Uh, California College of the Arts. Cal, Cal Arts, okay, yeah. Um, no, no, not Cal Arts. CCA. In San CCA, yeah, right. Yeah. So, which is where you met Chris. Where I met Chris. Which is how I met you. Which is how we okay. met. Okay. There's the yeah, lineage there, right there. there okay. Yeah, so, but at the time, I mean, I was drawing, it was like black and white still live, figure drawing, watercolor figure, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, and that's, yeah, well, that's, that's and, and it's all blossomed out of that. Yeah, something out Being of that. like nudged towards art through a teacher. Uh, traveling to different cities in the states, mostly for skateboarding, to check things out and hang and, out, yeah, and then hang out. And I didn't have any real, yeah. I didn't have a vision of what. Yeah, I had. I really, it's not. I had a goal. Right, right. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, since I've known you, since I first came to your studio, which I want to say was like eight years ago or something like that, probably. Um, and at that time, your studio was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and you had rented out a massive space, like a few thousand square feet, and then 
built it out into like subdivided into other studios right. and then rented those studios out. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but every studio you've ever had has been some version of that where you take a whole floor out, subdivide it, yeah. rent it out, which subsidizes your own studio rent, right? makes it more affordable. More affordable. Um, and you've done that like what, three or four different places at this point? This is a third time. Okay. Third, yeah. And that's, that's facing a problem, the cost of rent, and finding a solution. You get some capital together and you build it up. Right. Build it out, right? And rent right. it out and drop, and drop your, your rent. Right. Um, that is, like, there's a, there's a certain amount of risk to doing that, right? You gotta, you, you're, you're taking on a big lease. You got to put a lot of money up front for that sort of thing. Can you walk me through like the the decision making process, or like this, like figuring out like this is this is how I'm going to hack hack the the expensive studio right. system? Well, again, in terms of millimetric decisions, looking back on it at the mm -hmm. time, right now in hindsight, it's I could say we can hack. I mean, it's, it's a it's a way to work the system. Yeah. Um, but the first building we had, I was it was my last semester at grad school at NYU. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, like, a couple of friends of myself, I was like, I was telling them, we have to have a space. We can't, like, lose our studio here at grad school, mm -hmm. put it in storage, and look for it later. It's like, we're, right. it's not going to happen. It's got to be seamless. You it's got to be able to seamless. go right into something. Right. And yeah. I remember, like, last semester, like, a bunch of people in our class, well, I mean, everyone was working on their thesis, and we were kind of out, like, looking at buildings before, like, you know, we're looking at buildings trying to figure out how we're going to get this money. Obviously, we hadn't been working, so we didn't have, like, the credit. Like, we didn't have the finances right. or the financial support on paper to, like, prove to someone that we're going to be able to pay, like, whatever, seven, eight, you know, whatever the, you know, yeah. whatever the cost of a large building was at that time. Right. So it was, like, 12 years ago. So, and I remember, like, we found this one building. And so, I mean, it was, like, Williamsburg, kind of near where the White Hotel is. Mm -hmm. And at the time, and I'd only been in New York two or three years after, at, at this point. For graduate school. Right. Is that what brought you to New York? Graduate yeah. school? Yeah. At NYU? Yeah. I mean, I knew I, I, knew I wanted to come to New York. Graduate school was a way to get to New York. Right, right. So you have an MFA with a focus in sculpture? No. I mean, the MFA, it just opened. It just opened. It just opened. Okay. It just opened. okay. Um, yeah, but I remember finding this one building in Williamsburg, and it, and it was, you know, where the White Hotel is right now, which is pretty, like a pretty transited area now. Yeah. So Fancy. It's fancy, yeah. yeah. So when we got it there, I mean, I remember two, two people in the group were like, oh, it's a little too far off the path from the Bedford stop. <laughs> it might be, it's a little risky. Anyways, we ended up deciding we're going to go for it. So yeah, then we had to go through the whole process of proving the land we had money. None of us had money. Yeah. But came up with this idea. One of the guys in our group came, he was a Korean guy, um, very wealthy family. Okay. He didn't want to build anything. He uh -huh. just wanted a studio. He was the financier maybe. Well, it's... We took out some student loans to do all this, but okay. what, what I thought what, I thought one idea would be to prove to the landlords that we had cash was that like if we, I told the guy to take out like a bunch of money from mm -hmm. like cash, mm -hmm. so I went and deposited into my account, and then asked for like official bank statement of my balance. Oh, that's what you presented went, to the landlords. Went to a different branch, took out the cash, gave it to my other buddy. He did so. We ran around the East Village. We all had these official bank statements, and we throw the numbers off. It's like, all right, you have like fourteen, I got like right. seventeen, and then right. So that's yeah. So we show up to so this play. So you had like official paperwork, but it was just moving money around. It was just money that yeah. Then they got moved back to its original owner. That's smart. So yeah. So yeah, but it's one of those things. I mean, like 
Yeah, I mean, now looking back, I get to say, like, yeah, that's one way to... But at the time, it was just like, yeah, we wanted a studio. We wanted to keep trying to make work. Like, we wanted to keep that right. flow of making work. We didn't want a, a gap in between. Yeah. Because yeah, then when real life kicks in, the summer goes by, and you find a job, and yeah. like, when are you going to come up with cash to, Yeah, like, it's momentum, man. You got to keep it you gotta going. You got to keep it going. If you stop, you know, sometimes things fall apart. Yeah. Um, that's crazy about the like getting the official bank statements. It's like beautiful and awful all at once, right? It's, it's beautiful, beautiful and awful. That, it, beautiful it's awful. beautiful in that you like figured out an, like a, a workaround, another hack. It's awful that artists and creative people are sort of forced to to do these ridiculous things in order to right. like get ahead a little bit. Right. Well, the and numbers it's not even really getting ahead. It's just like it's making not, things. It's not ahead. Reasonable. Right. Um, right. I mean, anyway. it's basically like if you if you have a five hundred dollar budget, which I would say that's kind of like an average, right? Most yeah. people have around five hundred for a studio. Yeah. I mean, back then that would give. I mean, like now that won't get you anything. Right. But it's basically like if, if I know I can pay rent five hundred a month, um, I'm gonna get this. But for whatever reason, I come up with like however much money to make a build out, yeah. and that you know instead of getting two hundred square feet, I get three hundred square feet. Then mm -hmm. you do it, you know. Yeah. But right, but that's not like that's not like ahead of the game. No. It's just like you know, it's not the, at the way. Bottom You're like almost game. getting to like a, 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 like a human level of living almost, almost. right <laughs> right um, another hack that you've told me about sorry I keep using this word hack sort of uh, an annoying tired term at this point but um, you would you, you were you were a ticket scalper for all intents and purposes <laughs> can we call it that yeah. but not for like you know New York no. Nets games or no. or like the Van Halen show at MSG no you, you got your hands on Museum tickets, yeah. expensive like MoMA. They're they're the cost of admission is what twenty plus bucks at this twenty five. I think it's at thirty now. It's at thirty now. Yeah, tells you how much I go to that museum. Yeah, but um, or the last time you paid. Yeah, the last time <laughs> I paid. But you you what were you doing? You using a student ID or something to get free tickets or no? When I so when I finished grad school, um, you know, like reality hit in terms of like, you know, at school there were loans or there were scholarships. So I was just mm -hmm. at school. You know, that's not like a real reality in New York. Right. So I finished school and some, a friend of mine hooked me up with some freelance work at different galleries. So, you know, but the galleries always seemed to be deinstalling and installing the show in the same week. So it, that wouldn't cut it. Like when they were staggered, when I had that one week at one gallery, one week at another gallery, mm -hmm. then it would work. I, I can make, you know, ends meet. I can cover my basic. Yeah. But when that didn't happen, I had to come up with other ways of money. I hadn't been in New York. I didn't have a network where I, I could just call people and like work. It just wasn't around. Yeah. Those were like my only options. Yeah. But I had this, I used to work at a museum in Miami, well, the museum in Miami. Um, and I had a, you know, I, used, I worked in the education department and I still had my employee ID. Oh, okay. So, and there's like this <laughs> understanding with all museums, if you work at a museum, you're from the city, like you can get in and get some You showed the ID and they give you a free ticket. Right. Uh -huh. So, so, and yeah, all the, you know, I had a lot of visitors coming to New York, so I would use that to get, you know, I want to go to the moment, take the moment. Then I was like, well. Let me just get these free tickets. See if I can sell them outside. Yeah. So I did. So there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. So that I mean, like for a few years, that really kind of like supplemented the lack of funds. So uh -huh. you know, and I would go like I was living in the Upper East Side at the time, and I would start at the Whitney. Uh huh. And you couldn't really get that many. Like on a weekend? Oh yeah, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, 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 Sunday. Yeah. Start at the Whitney. You know, small museum. I'd get two to get going. You know, maybe make thirty bucks. Get me breakfast. Yeah. Go to Guggenheim. I could spend some time there. Like you'd go in. I mean, it, it got pretty. What would you do? Would you wait in line, get a ticket, go outside? Well, I'd go to, I, I, no, you got to like. How many tickets could you get on one of these passes? So at the time at the Guggenheim, you could get like two or three. Okay. Plus your, yes, yeah, so you got like two or three. So I would go in there, get the tickets, come out, sell them, 
go get lunch, come back. And then the person at the information desk will probably swap shifts. <laughs> so, so you're keeping track of that. So, well, you do all these little funny things you start to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then go to MoMA. MoMA is like the easiest because they have MoMA's like you have two entrances. Uh-huh. The information desk is way long. Right. So you can start on one end, hit 54th, walk around the block, right. do 53rd. Right. You know, it's just funny. Like, and it, were the public that you were selling these who's uh, excited you, for the deal? You're you're selling them at a little bit of a discount, right? Yeah. Or were you just like, you don't have to wait in line here? No, it's you. a little bit of a discount. Okay. I was like, yeah, you save five bucks, buy lunch. Okay. So, Great. but yeah, but you start to like, it's, I mean, yeah, that, the target, yeah, you start to learn. The people that would like, would definitely be in. Like, you could tell it was an art student or artist. Yeah. Thank you. Europeans loved it. Latin yeah. Americans loved it. Yeah. You know? Did but, you ever run into anyone that were like, you're this oh, is all sketchy, the time. You know, oh, like, where course. are the cops? Well, no, I'll say you start to learn. Like, the, I, mean, like, I don't want, you know, the classic, like, Midwest family, father, mother, older sister, younger brother, mm-hmm. you know, I was just like that, whatever, that Puerto Rican hustler on the street, like, was going to rob them, you know? Oh, they would even, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was, it, it was pretty funny. Um, you know, while we're talking about the studio, um, you know, we, we talked about how, you you know build it out and 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 rent you know subdivide and rent these studios out to other artists. Um, you know, let's talk about you working in the studio again, um, getting back into it. And I'm always curious if artists and maybe this is circling back to like have, when, talking about those good days and bad days. Um, what uh, you know, and if there's reoccurring issues or problems that come up in in studio, and what sorts of things you might do to try and break through those. Um, right. You know, is there anything on that front? I mean, back to good days, bad days. Mm-hmm. I mean, like any existential problem, there's days where you're like, I, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And there's days where you're like, this is a huge waste of time, uh-huh. you know? I mean, I think the more time you spend in the studio, the, mo- the more time, I think basically you're just trying to figure out patterns about yourself. And you're almost like calling in advance that you're going to have like these downs. Uh-huh. So, I mean, one thing, I mean, I study my patterns a, a bunch, but even just like daily routine patterns, like what we talked before, how you wake up, what do you do? Like if, if this is your routine, like if you get a coffee at a different place on the way to the studio, will that make it different? You know, like right. just diversify things. Mm-hmm. So I will mix up like what I'm playing in terms of music. Was it a podcast? Or am I listening to, am I hearing a movie? Just the sound. I just try and keep moving things around. Mm-hmm. But always, always with like the ultimate faith that like, being there, moving around, something will happen. And even, you know, trying to embrace, like, those downtimes where it's, it's part of it, too. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you have to respect that almost as much as the good ones because, they're, you know, you're not yeah. going to feel great about what you're doing every day. Yeah. It's impossible. It's, that's a great point of view and, and one that I think a lot of us forget that those bad days are, you know, an important part of the process of going through the motions, right? You know, we have to have those bad days in order to, you know, break through and find the, the, the solution. Yeah. Um, it's part of it. Yeah. No, not to say that I haven't figured out when the, the, the right. down day, it, it's it, it still sucks. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Do you, do you ever destroy your work? Do you ever, does it ever get to the point like this is driving me fucking crazy? Yeah. And then you just take a sledgehammer to it or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Break them all the time. Yeah. But what's been happening with, with the works in this new show, or I guess before a lot of the, a lot of the works, almost seem to be about folding in on themselves, like almost like this faux Mobius strip, um, where it was all about folding and bending in on itself, and that would be the thing. Mm-hmm. So now, like, breaking things, I'm going to end up with all these pieces, 
and I'm now attaching things together. I mean, it ultimately doesn't sound that huge, but for me, it was a big, it was a big thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just, like I said, another way to find forms. So, I mean, some of those, like, some of those pieces are just a combination of other broken sculptures. Right. Where I pulled off a piece and... They're sort of Frankenstein together. Frankenstein yeah. together. I'm glad that you said, uh, you know, used the term unfolding. There is that element to the sculptures. You know, they... You know, I think I used the... I referenced like an elephant ear sort of flopping over, but they, they do look like they're, they're, they're folding in or unfolding. Um, and it's something I forgot to mention earlier, but they do feel like they want to move. They feel like they want to animate. There's like, and you know, it's you're using the language of freezing them and holding them still and hardening them up. But there is this, this spirit in them that, that looks like they, like when you turn your back, they like move a little bit and change. Um, and that's really, really exciting too about the work. Um, I don't know if that's something that you intend or anyone else has mentioned about the work as well. But yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, I mean, you I'll, take that. I'll, I'll t no, definitely take that. Okay, for sure. I mean, like one of those things. I mean, like when, when I'm, I mean, I, I want the static form to be. I never thought about it in terms of like almost like a being or a person mm -hmm. that wants to move or shift, but because I mean, a lot of the gestures are. I mean, they're very physical things, a bowl, a cut to uh -huh. put together. I mean, those, those are all things that involve movement, yeah. you know? And to kind of like capture that movement right there, right? I mean, yeah, hopefully it's, it's, it's Yeah, it's there. like a snapshot. It's a snapshot. Of the action of making it, right? right. Um, uh, yeah, I guess when I was a, like... That's a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah. like when I, was, when I was in there, you know, and I'm chasing my kid around on the floor, um, and we're and I'm, I'm I'm trying to like, you know, really really study your 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 sculptures and yeah, there's like and you know you're walking three dimensionally around them and they sort of shift and move so yeah they they for me they were they were kind of moving in a way, um, um so yeah that's that's a that was a nice takeaway for me, um I'm 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 wondering how you know since we're talking about this show, um, how you prepared for it like artists sort of prepare for shows in different ways. And I'm always curious to hear everyone's sort of take on it. Some artists, you know, really like have a, have a program in mind and they sort of, they predetermine what they're going to do and how they're going to stop before they even begin. Other artists just sort of make work. And when it's time for the show, they sort of pick out their favorites or the ones they think work best and put it in the show. Um, what's your strategy for that? Um, show together. Some of the above. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been working on this body of work for a few years now. Um, so I guess, well, yeah, one of the, I mean, I mean, I was trying to see if it could even be taken anywhere else. So, I mean, like I was, we talked about it before, but it seems or it's been happening that every time I make a group of these, new things open up. Right. So that's which one, is one of the goals, which is one of the goals. Yeah. Right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. One of the goals. So there's that trajectory. Mm -hmm. So. But then is it for me, I mean, one of the things I thought about or struggled a lot in, in my head was, I mean, is it enough just to make something, I'm a quotation mark, better? Air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes. Yeah. Better. Right. Is that enough? Right. Is that even just like, it, what, what, what's the point of that? That just seems to refine up something. I mean, that'd be a, a, a literal, I guess I, the word better would be a literal way. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I thought for this particular group was like, I really... You know, also like the times are weird. I mean, I don't want to get too like in, like talk about that too much. But I mean, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a weird. I mean, post election, that was a weird time to go to the studio and yeah. just be like, uh, weird's an understatement. An understatement. <laughs> okay, understatement. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, one of the things I thought with this with this work, I mean, I really wanted to 
kind of maybe pull away hopefully some of the the layers of filter mm -hmm. um, with some of the aims or some of the things that I'm interested in kind of shorten the gap like keep it really close to the, the way things actually happen in my head and then how they come out physically mm -hmm. and not fuss with that too much right you know yeah so do you find yourself tightening up when you fuss around like that or you start to overthink maybe uh, I'm curious about the fussing yeah I mean, I, just, I, I really felt like there was just a lot more to come out uh -huh. that maybe I, I, I was holding back a bit. Okay. I, I, you know, even uh -huh. though, again, it's, but it's like the last, I mean, I thought the same thing with the last show I did in comparison to the one, you know, I, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted to make it to more, like more, more present, more physical, more, uh -huh. more kind of like, not the word gross, but like just, just more real, like right. more, you know, just. You want to build. Yeah. Build on top of the last project or the last body of work yeah i mean yeah. we were talking about goals earlier let's I, I i think for a lot of artists part of the goal is like this body of work is informed by the last one right but it's taking it to a different place hopefully um you know in a, in a, a you know arguably more provocative or engaging place right um, um for sure the other thing that um you know we were talking about before we hit record is um and this is connected like how your approach to putting together shows is the installation. Right. You know, I thought the, the, the work was installed very, very well. The space between the works wasn't um, too crowded. Um, you know, the, the pieces in the front, the, the surface treatment was, um, I want to say, like quieter in, in, in the amount of information, the color palette that you used versus the ones that were around the corner. Those ones are the the the, the um, maybe a, a bit louder color wise so right. I like that sort of like introduction like sort of a progression like around the corner into the louder stuff right um, and I know you weren't you weren't it wasn't necessarily um, part of the design but there is some piping in the um, some duct work in the gallery space that comes in sort of like almost near the the entrance of the gallery. Um, but I liked how that those that shape of that those those pipes were riffing off the 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 man-made pipes riffing off these organic man-made things right and the sort of dialogue was making me kind of kind of look diagonally through the space like down at your work up at the up at the up at the ductwork and then you had a piece installed on the wall almost like um, you know almost like an oversized urinal in a way like had that it has that cavern into it yeah um, so I was like really ping-ponging around the space. Um, so I guess that was a long way of me to set up this question, like how long or like what was your process for like arranging, you know, where things were in there? Right. I mean, I had, I mean, there was, so when, when they're in the studio and they're on wheels, you know, I move them around and I try and set up like dynamics or conversations between some of the pieces. And again, every time you, you twist or you spin the piece around 45 degrees, that changes what you know what that conversation is mm -hmm. so I, mean, I had some some idea of certain pieces that i wanted to be together um and that front room of the gallery because of those pipes there sometimes can be a little bit tricky i think the window mm -hmm. of the street is tricky you yeah. know because it automatically creates this like this is where you're supposed to be looking at this work from right like automatically and the wash of natural light and the wash sometimes of fights with the gallery lighting right yeah, for sure um so i have i some kind of idea of, of what they're doing in the studio but again when you get to the, to the, the gallery i mean that that can can flip right completely right so and is it a was it a collaborative um process with the with with the gallerist in terms of like the installation 
um, or where, where the, do you get free range? Um, every every operation is a little bit different. Everyone's a little bit different, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it, it's most I I want the conversation. I mean, then they, you know, they they tell me, you know, what, what are you thinking? Do that. Let's, let's start there. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, I want that like I want that feedback because the reality yeah. is, like, I'm looking at things a certain way in the studio. And sometimes I'm not paying attention to stuff that someone else might notice. Right. And I want those things to be like, you know, I, I want to see those things. I want to yeah. see what other people see. Yeah. And these, these galleries know their spaces. They sort of they know, know their, their spaces. Point, what you know, works and what doesn't work. You know. Another thing that um, I actually spoke with Kate about when I was there was, um, and this is like tangential, right? It's just like part of the space was the marking on the floor, particularly around the back. There's like spray paint on the floor from where like a wall oh, yeah. used to be. And I thought that the, your work and the mark making on the, the surface of the forms was rebounding off the, that those marks on the floor. So that was an interesting conversation for me as we talked about yeah. the space in, that holds your work itself. Um, yeah, man, I flip-flop on terms of, like, I want full autonomy in my installs. You know, I want, I want full control yeah. to then also getting quickly checked by the gallerist or whoever it is I'm collaborating with, be like, right. and then letting their point of view in yeah. and, and then being like oh wait they actually know more <laughs> they they know better than i do yeah so, well i don't know about yeah. better they just know different than you yeah you know yeah. or they're you know they're they, you you know we it's very diplomatic of you <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah well we spend so much time with our work i mean we, yeah. and, and we want to we want to think that we have control over what it's doing what it's saying who it's communicating to and how they're communicating it yeah um but the reality is once it leaves us the work is going to do things independent of what we want yeah, yeah. so and like to have someone i mean that's I mean, it's almost it's almost like your first audience and they should be the, your best buddy audience because they're showing your work so yeah they're not i mean they're gonna be paying attention to stuff that maybe we're overlooking or not sure you know sure so i we, mean we're blind at a certain point we spent so much time with this stuff in our studios i know i'll speak for myself i can't see this stuff anymore sometimes i need like i need that hand holding yeah for sure yeah um you know Maybe this is a good place since we're talking about like you've had a few, you've had a handful of shows. You've got a great exhibition history. You have residencies on in your in your timeline. You've got a, a forthcoming residency. Um, I'm wondering if we can maybe ask a time machine question. If you could get you know what advice you might give to your younger self if you go back to maybe when you're a student at NYU, knowing what you know now being informed by all the experiences you've already had, like if you could go and be like, hey, pay more attention to this. Don't get so caught up in that. Is there anything? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, a, yeah. I mean that's a, yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. Well, it's not a tough, I mean, it's, a, it's almost like an easy one. Okay. It, it could be a tough one, but it, it's actually easier than that. Cause yeah, what would you tell yourself? I yeah. mean, I mean, I'd tell myself, you know, be a little bit smarter with money. I would tell myself, go farther out, out of grad school. Don't worry about being in such a centric neighborhood where the thing's going on. I mean, I, the, Whatever that is now is that you, the most important thing is to have the proper studio or at least aim to have the closest to that to make your work. Okay. You know, you know, like the idea of being surrounded by other people and there's things going on in the neighborhood, cafes, restaurants, bars, like that's, doesn't matter. That's not as important. No, it's not as you think, as you thought it was. No. And your studio, you know, um, is in Jersey city now. I just went to Jersey city. Yeah. Um, for cheaper rent, I'm going to assume in bigger space, bigger space. Um, I guess on that, on that level, um, it's the best decision. Is it the best decision? You're yep. not, you don't feel any, you know, this is something that, you know, a lot of artists think about, like where they are r- relative to the people that they want to try and come over to see their work. Right. You're across the river now. Yeah. Um, 
it was that a consideration or a concern? Like if I'm way over there and, you know, having pseudo visits is going to be more difficult or I'm not going to attract, you know, it's going to be more of an obstacle it wasn't, or a turnoff. It wasn't, no, it wasn't that much of a concern. I mean, like looking back in terms of like different studios I've had and who mm -hmm. actually went, I mean, a studio visit is only a good studio visit if you have something to show. Mm -hmm. If you if the work is, if it's what you want to be showing. Right. If the work is there. And if you don't have the space to make that work, then like, why have a studio visit? Yeah. So yeah, maybe. That's well said. Good maybe, point. maybe, yeah, you're a little farther out and then you have to hustle a little bit more to get someone over there as a, like, let's say you have one studio visit a year, but you're making the work in the space that it's requiring to be made. That visit is going to go a hell of a lot longer than if you had six because you're right smack on Morgan Avenue. Right. right. You know, right. Right. And you know, I ultimately want to believe that if people want to see your work, they're going to come and they're going to come it. see your work. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm having great work to show should supersede where you are. And if being somewhere where the rent is cheaper, if it's further out, allows you to make better work, that should unfold and open up right. in its own way, get attention and people will come to see it because right. it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, if don't I worry th about where you are, if I would, if I, if I would have told myself, like, if I could go back, I would have told myself, yeah, you should have gotten that space out in Ridgewood back in 2001 five-ish oh, okay you know like that you know mm -hmm. before ridgewood was even a yeah. thing for artists yeah i mean i'm sure there was artists well yeah there, because but we now just, it's you know we, i just yeah I was, it's creeping it was one of those things where like oh no i have to yeah. be close to manhattan like who's gonna go over to like mm -hmm. but those are just things that you like over time you see yeah. like, that doesn't even matter yeah that's like a youthful concern it's a youthful yeah. concern yeah anything else for your younger self or just no. don't worry about geography as much don't worry about geography i would say you know yeah not when you're young you gotta like goof off and fuck up and yeah you know if not like yeah live, I mean, you, you, you gotta live life well yeah no, you, you gotta figure it out along the way yeah um i know you have this uh you know i mentioned a second ago you have a, a residency coming up uh where is it again south america somewhere it's in lima lima in peru in peru um so you have that you're looking uh, on the horizon is there any sort of other projects that you're excited about or maybe a dream project that's um you'd like to realize um I'm looking forward to getting out of New York for a little bit and changing up the, the speed and the mm -hmm. tempo. You bringing the whole family? The whole family. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So we'll be in South America from July to January. Uh -huh. um, um, so being out, uh, out of... Out of New York, York, yeah, it's making work in a different, different place, different mm -hmm. scene. Um, it's not a specific dream project. I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, opportunities, spaces present themselves to just continue mm -hmm. investigating and doing what I've been doing. Yeah. And with any luck, that'll happen. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ernesto, I really appreciate you connecting like this in the midst of your show, and you're on your way to Greece tomorrow, so I'm, I'm glad that we're able to do this. Yeah. You're a traveling man. Um, congrats again on the show. It's uh, a super strong, um, really, really beautiful show. Well, thanks, man. Um, and, yeah, and, and thanks for yeah, being th so forthright. And thanks, for the, uh, sure. thanks for the invitation, Joe. Yeah, man. <laughs> thanks. And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.